Well, here we are. And the reports of our podcast's death have been greatly exaggerated. This is Well, Here We Are. A Okay, uh, it's, we're, it's just a podcast in which we put out podcasts, episodes, and our own timeline. <laughs> <laughs> and when we choose to do that, we explore the ways pop culture and the humanities matter for our daily lives by distilling them into lists of three-ish things. Friends and family, you knew this day would come. Our most ostentatious series brings us to Mansfield Park, a book at one time widely believed to be Austin's most accomplished work for reasons, but in contemporary times is often overlooked for other reasons. (laughs) What is Jane Austen trying to do with this novel? And do we like it? Or do we just want to like it? I'm Hannah. And I'm Suzanne. We do just want to say that we missed you all. We thought of all all 60 approximately of you every <laughs> night in our warm little beds. And if you missed us and you wish to welcome us back with open arms, consider leaving us a rating and or comment on the podcast application of your choice. Five stars. This isn't a threat. We, we left primarily for personal reasons, such as I got dumped and then I got COVID. So... Um, hopefully those things don't happen again. We're not trying to threaten you, but if you don't leave us nice reviews, there's no telling how long our next hiatus might be. So Mansfield Park. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like in the case of this book, maybe usually with Jane Austen, our ostentatious series, which if you haven't listened to all of them, which my big brother has listened to every single episode of our podcast, but he has not listened to a single Jane Austen episode. (laughs) Is it because he hates women? It's because he hates women. I don't know. I think he's just one of those people that never quite like connected with Jane Austen. And so now he's like, I probably never will. And I'm like, you know what? I feel that way about some dude authors. So I can't I can't necessarily tell you that that's a bad way to approach reading, but I feel like we, at the end of every ostentatious episode, we will give a recommendation at the end whether or not we liked the book and whether we think other people should read it. I feel like maybe it would be helpful if we started today's episode with that. What is our relationship to Mansfield Park and do we think other people should read it? I I think I'm just going to start by saying I don't get it. I don't get this book. I really wanted to, I was not looking forward to reading it again. I wanted to give it. So you had read it once before? I think I've I've definitely read it all the way through once. Okay. And I think I've started it and made it like halfway through (laughs) two or three other times, including once last year. I really want to get it. And I, I wanted to give it like a fresh start this read through. And I'm even more confused by it. I I think I used to be really bored by just Fanny Price. And this time I was like, okay, no, I kind of, I get Fanny Price by the end. Or maybe I don't get her, but I, I get her more than I used to. And I feel like I respect her more than I used to. It was like Fanny Price and Ed, Edmund Bertram did this like crisscross thing in my mind where I was like, wow, I really forgot how much he sucks. He just sucks <laughs> so much. And I didn't used to feel that way, I think. So mm-hmm. then it was like Fanny, Fanny Price's stock is going up, but Edmund Bertram's stock is like plummeting. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, think it's, it's, far... it's just like, 
Yeah, go ahead. by far the least romantic of Jane Austen's novels. Like, yeah. I, I would almost hesitate to say it's not a romance. No. It's the pursuit of romance, the pursuit of courtship, the relationship to romantic relationships is central. So maybe by it, – it, it, it plays a very important role in the novel. But there is, like, not a single – speech of Edmund declaring his affection or love no, for Fanny, no, who he ends up. No, You know, th- like all of the, the... narrator's just like, and then he realized he was in love with her. Yes. Every Jane Austen novel, essentially the final chapter serves as kind of like an epilogue. All of the romance between Fanny and Edmund, or the actualization of the romance, because Fanny loves Edmund throughout the whole book, the entire like actualization of the relationship where Edmund returns those affections happens in the the epilogue and there's no dialogue. It's just, no. yeah. And then Edmund was like, well, my relationship with, with Mary Crawford didn't work out. So what if I loved somebody her exact opposite? And behold, <laughs> there was Fanny. <laughs> especially when I was getting towards the end, I was thinking about there's so many in, in most of Austin's other novels, you get this like, at least one couple who is kind of the ringing endorsement of marriage. Mm -hmm. Like look at all these people who are doing marriage wrong, but then you get like Admiral and Mrs. Croft who you just love and you love and you get Mr. And Mrs. Gardner who you just love and they're just great and they love each other so much and they have a great partnership. And in this one, it's just like everyone who is married is just doing it wrong. And it's kind of of miserable. Yeah. Would you recommend people read the book? I, I can't. In good, you can't like, in good conscience recommend I it. I just, I just can't. I'm open to someone explaining to me why they like it, and I would be interested to talk to someone and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I see that, or I disagree, or I'd be interested in having that conversation. But I'm not going to go out and be like, oh my god, this book is amazing. You have to read it. Yeah, it's going to change your life. And to be life. clear, we want to hear from someone who loves this book, not someone of like, let me speak to some of the book's strengths. Because we can do that. We, like, we're about ready to talk about, speak to a number of the strengths within the book. I would like to meet someone who is a Mansfield Park, like, you know what? Maybe it's not my favorite Jane Austen, but it's number two or number three, right? Like, I want to hear somebody who's like, I love Mansfield Park without equivocation. I know, but even so, like, out of six, it's going to be in the top six. (laughs) Unless, yeah, unless the, like, you prefer even, like, Lady Susan to Mansfield Park. Or the first half of Sanditon or however yeah. you say it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the gaps between those things are big, right? Like, I still say that Emma is my absolute favorite, but the gap between Emma and Pride and Prejudice is not gigantic. Okay, so me and Mansfield Park, there's a moment in every Jane Austen novel I have read where... I find myself genuinely delighted. In my favorite Jane Austen novels, it happens very quickly, right? Within the first 20 pages of Pride and Prejudice and Emma, I'm like, yes, I love this. And I got that moment with Mansfield Park. Oh, really? Yes. It did not happen until the final 60 pages of Uh, The whole time I was reading, it felt like a chore. The whole time felt like a chore by the end of it i was like you know what edmund sucks but fanny has had to deal with so much garbage that i want her to have nice things 
And if for some reason that nice thing she wants is Edmund, then fine. She should have him. <laughs> like, because Jane really did, Jane Austen really did get me on Fanny Price's side by the end of it. That's there was true. a lot about her that I really liked as a character, but it, man, it, it was a journey to get there. We have a three-ish things, which is three-ish ways that Mansfield Park should actually be read like it's a tragedy. Because that, it is. It's, it's it a, just is. It is a tragic novel. I guess we have to kind of try to guess at what is Jane Austen doing? <laughs> Why did she write this book? What is she trying to accomplish? And maybe kind of settle it within her other catalog of novels. Should we first do a little plot summary? Because I feel like we often do that. Here's what it do. Mainsfield Park is set at a place called Mainsfield Park. What? Fanny Price is our heroine. She's born to super duper poor family, although they're not all that poor because they still have servants. But, but only you know, two when they're really bad at their jobs. Okay, so poor family, only two servants. Fanny is invited by her her two aunts and her uncle to go and live with them at their wealthy estate called Mansfield Park when she is nine years old. And this is a great opportunity for her. So she she goes and she grows up with her two male cousins, Tom and Edmund, and her two female cousins, Mariah and Julia. And they all grow up together and nobody is nice to Fanny except for Edmund. Guess who she falls in love with? The only one who's nice to her. The thing that makes Fanny so different from other Austin heroines is that she really is a very... She doesn't talk much. <laughs> She's very deferential. She has a very strong moral center. She also is in a family who, with the exception of Edmund, takes every opportunity to remind her that she is not fully a part of their family. And she hears that message in some form for 10 years of her life. But what that allows her to do is be a great observer. And so there's a... The, the parson, the parsonage, has a family, Mrs. Grant and Dr. Grant. Dr. Grant is the parson. Her sisters, her half-siblings, her half Henry and Mary Crawford, come to stay with them for a while. And the society of Henry and Mary Crawford that they now introduce into Mansfield Park is kind of what creates the tumult of the, of the book. Henry flirts with Mariah, who is engaged, so it's a big scandal. Edmund falls in love with Mary, even though they have nothing in common. <laughs> I think the only thing that you get is that they're both really hot, and they just want to make out <laughs> with each other. They can't. I think they're both they're both smart. They have like really snappy dialogue. Yep, they're both very smart. They're also both very stubborn. So they're both very certain that the way that they see the world is the way that the world works. I could see like the appeal of that, but they are not compatible in any way. That's really the book. It ends in a giant scandal when Mariah leaves her husband and runs off with Henry Crawford. Henry Crawford is falls in love with Fanny, actually, and proposes to her. And she rejects his proposal a couple of times. And he's like, don't worry, I will love you forever. And then it's like six months later, <laughs> he like, or even less time than that, it's like one month later, he runs off with Mariah. 
And then everything's fine at the end because Fanny and Edmund get together. The way I kind of view the whole thing is like Fanny Price is kind of the eye of the hurricane in in this interesting way in which like Fanny, I think, doesn't actually change that much through the course of the book. No. But everyone around her changes and every everything around her is like swirling and there's so much tension and Fanny just observes and stays basically the same. It's like a theme throughout the book that people just do not understand Fanny. Like even Edmund, who is nice to her, does not understand her. A lot of their change comes internally, like as characters, when they realize that Hanny, that Fanny, <laughs> Fanny is the one that's kind of had this figured out the whole time. But she really is kind of just the pillar and everyone rotates around her. Okay, so Mansfield Park <laughs> is an actual tragedy. We're not saying that it's tragic as in, oh gosh, what a bad book. If we're defining a tragedy of the end of the novel, people are in a worse position than they were at the start of the novel. The only people that really end up in a better position are Fanny and Edmund. I mean, I guess maybe Julia is okay. Uh, I mean, debatable. But Fanny's um, to uh, her brother and sister, maybe. <laughs> Yeah. The the most minor characters. Yeah, the most. I did like Susan. I thought it was very sweet. Yeah, Susan, I like Susan. Susan's yeah, Susan fine. was great. By that definition of are the characters in a better place than they were at the start of the novel, the answer for almost all of them is no. They are in a worse place. So we have kind of three big pillars of this tragedy. The first one of these pillars of the tragedy is the fall of Mariah and Mary, which Jane Austen, I just... You kind of picked kind of different names. <laughs> Mariah is Fanny's cousin, and Mary Crawford is the woman that Edmund falls in love with that he has no, nothing in common with. They both kind of have um, a fall from grace in very different ways. The second pillar is the almost redemption of the rake. So going back to our Pride and Prejudice episode, Hannah did a great job of kind of outlining some of the archetypes that Jane Austen has. And one of those archetypes is the rake. So in Pride and Prejudice, it's Wickham. In Sense and Sensibility, it's Willoughby. This is probably the closest that Jane Austen gets to actually redeeming a rake. He almost she gets just there. decides not to. And then he's like, it's really hard. And then he just gives <laughs> up. And then the third pillar of this tragedy is our heroine. She's a very tragic... I mean, she gets a happy ending, so maybe it's not tragic, but... We have to talk about Fanny Price. I The one that makes me saddest is the fall of Mariah and Mary. So yeah. I think we should start there. Okay. They're whores. Just, I don't know what else. <laughs> they're both whores. And there's, it's no life for a whore out here. It's, uh, okay. So with Mariah, this character just, she is given so many things in the first I don't know, 20 years of her life, and she still has no options. Mm -hmm. So she ends up marrying Mr. Rushworth, who nobody likes, nobody respects. I mean, I guess he's he's kind of good-natured. He's, like, friendly, and he likes to talk to people. He has a huge estate in the country, and he has a house in town. And the best possible option that she has is to be a mistress, the mistress of this great estate, because she is not going to marry for love. 
she's not going to meet fun and interesting people living in the country. All she can hope for is to have a bunch of money. And that's all she has to look forward to in her life. Yeah, one of the things that really struck me about Mansfield Park is you can read Pride and Prejudice. You can read Emma. You can can read Northanger Abbey. And there are elements of the life as it's depicted within those novels that feels aspirational. That's why we have Austin Land the movie with mm-hmm. with Carrie Russell. It's why we have Lost in Austin, which was a mini series where a modern day woman goes back in time and joins the plot of Pride and Prejudice. Because there's something about the civility, the gen- the courtship that is aspirational. This novel felt claustrophobic. There is nowhere for people to go. There is nothing for people to do. When Henry and Mary Crawford leave Mansfield Park, they go back to London. They don't there's have nobody to hang out with. There's no one to hang out with. You can hang out with your siblings, you can hang out with your aunt, and you can hang out with your parents. And and that is it. There is this element in Austin novels of like, these are very privileged people, and it's something that when we think about Austin land and when we think about Lost in Austin, we get to go back and we get to be part of the 1%. I, we're not saying that being part of the 1% is a tragedy. Yeah, we're not saying she, rich people rights too. Yeah, yeah. But she, like, she has a bunch of money and she's being taken care of financially and like she's going to have a roof over her head and she's going to have all the meals and the tea that she wants. But she's not going to have a lot else. It's just like bleak yeah her dad does try to give her an out right he realizes what a silly man rushworth is and he says if you need help breaking your proposal we can break your engagement right you don't have to marry this man her response is essentially what What else else am i supposed to do yeah so what is her uh what is her fall We kind of alluded to it. We mentioned it, that she runs away with Henry Crawford. Yeah, so she's in love with Henry Crawford basically from the time that they meet. He flirts with her a lot. He never loves her or seems to respect her, but he enjoys flirting with her. And then at the end, she kind of runs off with him while her husband is, like, hanging out with his mom. (laughs) And she's basically shunned from society, There's kind of this discussion of, like, can we redeem her? Is she worthy of redemption? Because she's just, she's done this completely unforgivable thing of Mm -hmm. leaving her husband, disgracing the family, and running off with a man. She's she's just left all this behind. She's, She's made this choice. And there's no going back from that choice. Her fate is that she will be living in a house in a different county, with her aunt. And that is her it. Her unpleasant aunt. With her very unpleasant aunt. And that is it. That is the that is the rest of her life. She's going to be dead to her family. They are not to have any correspondence with her, really. Um, the only correspondence they will have with her is through the aunt, most likely. She will never marry again. She will never have children, right? So this is this is her life now. It's like presumably she's not going to hang out with any of her friends. She's like never going to talk to any of her friends again. Yeah. 
So do you she think that... She just wanted to have some fun. She just wanted to, like, flirt with a hot guy who wasn't even that hot. <laughs> they kept they kept talking about how hot he isn't. Yeah, they she kept talking he's super charismatic, but boy, he is not a looker. He's an uggo, but there's just something about him. What do you think she was doing with Mariah? Was Jane Austen just like, I want to shame this this character? Like, why Mariah? Why does she have this... What is Jane trying to do with her as a character, would you guess? Yeah, I mean, the book is this whole exploration of morality. Mariah is just this, she is our warning sign, I guess, our like cautionary tale of what happens when you are not driven by morals, but you are driven by your own like selfish need to have fun. Mm. <laughs> I don't think that Austin really like comes down on the side of she deserved that yeah I I mean I don't know maybe that's that's my modern take on it but it's just it's hard to think that that is a just punishment that Austin thinks it's a just punishment there's a note where she talks about basically Henry Crawford is going to be fine right like right yeah he, he will probably marry he will have his wealth he'll be fine Rushworth is going to remarry, probably. Yeah, Rushworth is going to remarry as well. Like, they'll be okay. But what Jane Austen says, or what her narrator says, I, you know, I don't know if the narrator is Jane, right? Like, the narrator could be a different voice. What the narrator essentially says is, this is unjust because men should be Mm -hmm. also punished, right? So she doesn't, she doesn't come down on Mariah did nothing wrong. She's like, in a just world, Henry would also be ashamed. But also, I think the fall of Mariah is supposed to tell us as much about Sir Thomas, her father, and Lady Bertram. Because... How, like, hands-off they are as parents. hands-off as they are as parents. That they gave her every privilege. They gave her a great education. They gave her every opportunity. And they kind of just thought that that would be enough. I thought that was interesting, the kind of exploration that Sir Thomas does of his own parenting that he says, or the narrator says, like, in his own kind of inner dialogue that he, because Mrs. Norris is so permissive and wants to give Mariah everything, that he, in his mind, is almost doing, is is playing counter to that mm-hmm. and is being, like, the stern rules making withholding parent and that he thought that that would balance out if he was just like unapproachable the the punishment is still on mariah like he feels bad and he's like oops that was not correct yeah but there's he's fine yeah (laughs) all the the men are fine (laughs) the book says that all it did was teach her how to conceal things from him which is maybe what part of Maybe that's part of what the whole play plot is supposed to symbolize as well. So the play plot is Sir Thomas has to leave. He leaves England to go take care of some land that they have in Antigua. He's gone for a long time. And so this claustrophobic, very small society, they're all so horny. <laughs> they do, <laughs> and they don't, they don't know what to do. So they're like, why don't we put on a play that allows us to, like, touch each other. Hold hands. To hold hands and hug and to be in the company of the opposite sex and kind of indulge in this 
flirtatious fantasy. fantasy of our lives, right? The only person who is vehemently opposed to this is Fanny. She doesn't want to have any stake in it. She doesn't want to participate. She's actually the only one who – she never utters a line from the play, right? She does not want to participate. And as soon as Sir Thomas comes back and interrupts the play, even though throughout the entire thing, all of them have been like, we're not doing anything wrong. This is fine. We are not doing anything wrong. As soon as he comes in the door, they're all like F word. Strike the set. (laughs) Hide everything. Hide everything. Because they, because they knew, right? And so that is what Sir Thomas's way of parenting has done, which is instructed Mariah not on what is right, but on what needs to be concealed. Uh, it, okay, so related to Mariah's fall from grace is Mary's fall from grace. Which happens really kind of precipitously. Good use of the word precipitously. Thank you. I mm-hmm. took the SAT. So the whole book, Fanny doesn't like Mary. She doesn't like her from the jump, and then she doesn't like her the whole time, even though Mary is way more fun than anybody else in the novel. That's probably why Fanny doesn't like her. Well, Fanny doesn't like her because Edmund loves her, and Mary loves Edmund. And Fanny's like, I don't know why, I just don't like her. She said bad things about her uncle who was mean to her. Fanny gets justified at the end because she's like, I knew about that Mary Crawford all along. So what does but Mary what happens? Do? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So when Mariah and Henry run off together, Mary reacts by sending a letter to Fanny and saying, you can't believe the rumors. Don't, don't believe anything you hear. Henry loves you so, so, so much. Everything's going to be fine. Fanny's like, um, what is this in reference to? She finds out the whole thing by reading it in the newspaper and then she doesn't talk she doesn't talk to her, right? She oh, she gets another letter from Mary. Yes. And Mary says basically laments that the whole thing was found out and laments the way that it was discussed and she calls it folly. And then so that's Edmund when, comes and Edmund comes back and is like, right. I went to go talk to her about this and she thinks the worst thing that happened is that everybody knows about it. She did not call this sin of Mariah and Henry a sin. She still loves her brother. How dare she? To me, the worst thing that she did was to say, oh, maybe Tom's going to die and then Edmund will inherit everything. She says that in the letter and it doesn't even get like circled back to. It's a pretty, it's a pretty bad thing to say. It's not, it's not a good look. That's when she kind of lost me. I was like, oh, maybe if that, if that's a thought you have inside your head, just like leave it inside your head and don't put it on paper. Inside thought. You should keep that as an inside thought. The kind of the running tension between Edmund and Mary, this one thing that they never seem to see eye to eye on is that Mary is kind of obsessed with the way things seem. She's obsessed with like the optics and Edmund is obsessed with like, the way people are with Mm -hmm. people's morals and ethics. This is the culmination of that fundamental disagreement about what matters is that Edmund is concerned with the sin of the act and Mary is concerned with how it looks. I have to try to make sense of what's happening with Mariah and Henry in light of Lydia and Wickham in Pride and Prejudice and <laughs> okay. like try to read these things intertextually, right? There is a big difference. Lydia and Wickham were not married. Wickham could be bribed into marrying her. 
And that kind of retroactively gave some respectability to the situation, right? Whereas Mariah Mm -hmm. is leaving her husband. Her husband is successfully granted a divorce, which there was a really interesting footnote in the copy of the book I read, which is divorce was not wildly, widely accepted, like available to people. So the Uh way you could get a divorce is you had to get- Prove adultery. You had to prove adultery, and then you had to actually get Parliament to issue a bill oh. that that related specifically to you and grant a bill oh. that said you can get – like, this couple can get divorced, right? God, it's so humiliating. Yeah. So it it was in terms of, like, societal ripple effects is significantly greater. However, in Pride and Prejudice – Mrs. Gardner, who we love, says uh, Lydia and Wickham might be found. They still might be able to, we might be able to convince them to marry. And we can salvage this. And we can salvage this. We We can clean this up as a passing folly. And that similar sentiment is shared by Mary Crawford. And she is shown to be a, like a mercenary without any moral backbone. There's the implication that they they sort of run off together, and she's saying that, like, maybe Mariah and Henry can make it work, even though they also find out that they are wildly incompatible. But is that, could she have married Henry after divorcing Rushworth if they had wanted to? Is that a thing that could have actually happened, do you think? Or would they have had to, like, move to France yeah, to I do that? I mean, they very much probably would not have been... Accepted in society Accepted. again. Yeah and, yeah. and one of the things is that Mary says is like, well, they'll just have to move to the city, right? We'll have to move to London. This isn't a big deal there, right? Which is which is a little naive that she thinks that this is something that's going to be accepted by, by all people. It's not going to be accepted by all people. I think maybe that is what a little bit of what Jane Austen is showing Look, there are certain things that can kind of be salvaged and fixed, but there are certain limits to to what is salvageable, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. even though it's salvaged at the end of Pride and Prejudice, Mr. Bennett says, they are not welcome to stay here. We, I don't want them in the neighborhood. They're not going to be welcome to live here. And that is a story with a happy ending in a certain respect. Mrs. Gardner in Pride and Prejudice is, she's not a lot older, but she's smarter. Or, you know, maybe maybe mm-hmm. she's not smarter, but I think she just has, like, she's more, like, grounded, I think, than Mary Crawford. And Mary Crawford has so much to lose. Like, she, she knows that after this, like, Edmund's probably not going to marry her, even if he still loves her. Mm-hmm. She's kind of flailing. I think she's just flailing. Which, you know, relatable. It's not like she's Jane Bennett or Jane Fairfax who are like perfect little precious baby angels that have never done anything wrong. <laughs> right? Like, right. Like Henry tells her, I'm going to make Fanny Price fall in love with me. And she's like, okay, have fun. <laughs> like, it's not like, it's not like she tells him, Henry, it is unacceptable the way you treat women. And the roads But she you kind could- of does at the beginning, like when we first meet them, we see their private conversations. Yeah. And she's like, you really should stop flirting with Mariah because she's engaged. And he's like, oh, yeah, totally. I'm totally going to stop flirting with her. And then doesn't. And she's she kind of laughs at him. But she's like, stop. (laughs) 
like this matters and she 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 points out his flaws yeah to him yeah Maybe what the narrative is also trying to do is compare Mary's relationship to Henry with Fanny's relationship to her eldest brother, William, right? They yeah. they both deeply love their brothers, and they both think the best of their brothers. But one is an unredeemable rake, and the other one just needs opportunity to better himself. And... The sense we get from Fanny, the sense we get from the story is that there are certain limits to what Fanny will tolerate with William's behavior, right? Like if if he were to be, to fall over the cliff of impropriety, Fanny would, would be like, I can't follow you there. Whereas Mary is like, I love Henry. Our parents are dead. He's all I have. He's all I have. So there's no limits to like how much I'm going to love him. I think that she, she wins in the end. It's like, she, she wins by not having to marry Edmund. She would have been miserable. Well, I guess all that discussion of Mary brings us to, (laughs) brings us to her brother, Henry, who I do remember the first time I read this book. And I do remember the first time I watched the 1999 Mansfield Park. With both things at the end of it, just being like, man, I really just wish Fanny would have hen- ended up with Henry Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought he was such a, I thought he was like the villainiest villain of all when I saw the movie. Oh, okay. because Because the movie, I mean, takes so many liberties with the plot, but the movie yeah. actually shows shows him in bed with Mariah and like little nine-year-old me or however old <laughs> I saw the movie I was like oh my god you do not do that in Jane Austen's you are despoiling Park. that woman <laughs> yeah and it was just like so like grody the way yeah. uh, the, like she, I just like, remember feeling Fanny like dirty walks, Fanny walked yeah. in on them and then Edmund yeah. is there to like comfort her because of her like burning eyes yeah Okay. Yeah, but then every time I read it since then, I'm just like, he's not—he's not that bad. Yeah, like so he—he he flirts with people who he shouldn't be flirting with, but like, who doesn't? You know? <laughs> he starts the book, kind of paired off with Julia, the younger sister, and then he's like, yeah, flirting with her is just not as much fun. And so then he starts flirting with Mariah, who's engaged, right? And this is where Fanny is, like, cannot stand Henry Crawford. She's like, this man is openly flirting with an engaged woman. And Fanny can see, because, again, she's the observer. She doesn't really talk, but she's taking in all of this. Fanny can see that Mariah is, like, in love with him. That Mariah is not just in love with him, but Mariah thinks that a proposal is imminent. And when Henry Crawford leaves, without really giving word to Mariah and has no intention of ever coming back, Fanny is like, this guy is the worst. (laughs) He just sucks. And then he comes back to Mansfield Park and is back in friendship with Fanny. And Fanny's like, get this guy away from me. I cannot stand him. And Henry says to Mary, I'm going to make Fanny fall in love with me. I think it'll be a fun little project. I think that's going to be a fun little project. And Mary's like, look, you can't do that. You're always making people fall in love with you. And he's like, no, it'll be good for her. It'll be good. It's good. (laughs) 
And he's like, just wait and see. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And also, Fanny's one of those people who, if she falls a little in love with me, it's going to, it's not going to harm her. Like, she's going to be fine. But little does Henry Crawford know that he is actually going to fall very much in love with Fanny. Wait, let's not miss the opportunity to have Henry say something that I often say, which is, I played myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, he played himself. He was He played himself. Yep. Uh, But then he's like, you know what? I... I know who you think I am. Like he has this great conversation with Fanny where he's like, I know who you think I am. You think I'm an inconstant person prone to going from impulse to impulse. And I'm going to show you that that is not the case here. Like I'm going to be devoted to you. It works for a while. (laughs) Like (laughs) Fanny is like, there is a great change in him. He has this big estate that he's not really interested in running because he would rather just like go flirt with people. And he takes a greater interest in running the estate and he gets to know his tenants and he's arranges for her brother who's in the Navy to get a promotion. And he does all of these things because he's like, I am trying to show you the man that I am capable of being. And Fanny slowly starts to soften towards him. And then he leaves with Mariah. And it is <laughs> so upsetting to me. And this is where I'm like, well, yeah, Jane Austen is not a 2022 author writing a, a Regency romance novel, right? Because If she was a 2022 author writing a Regency romance novel, Henry for sure would be redeemed. And the story would be like the power of a good woman to redeem even the flirtiest of flirts to have ever flirted. That's not the story Jane Austen is interested in doing. But if she's not interested in doing it, Hannah, why does she get so (laughs) close to doing it? And why does she tell us in the book, right? She explicitly says multiple times, Henry loved Fanny, and after he has this experience with Mariah, he deeply regrets it because he knows that he gave up his love for Fanny, and it still persists. Like, he still loves her. And Jane Austen goes on to say, if he had just waited a little longer, (laughs) if he had just been a little patient, he probably would have been successful. And yeah, they probably would have been happy. Why? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you? Why? Why? Why are you doing this to me? (laughs) Hannah, why is she doing this? I think that one thing that she's doing is like giving, she's giving Fanny a little taste of power. The thing that is kind of alluring is that Henry's, it's not just that he's changing, but that he's changing due to her influence. What would life be like for all these people if they started to accept that Fanny is actually good at some stuff Mm -hmm. and that Fanny has good influence over things. But then she takes it away. (laughs) It wasn't enough. And that's kind of, I mean, that's what we're sort of led to believe wins Edmund over in the end is that he's like, oh, actually this other person is like the whole package because she's a lot like me and I like that. So it's it's this like exploration of this person with terrible self-esteem who nobody is nice to and nobody listens to. She's like, what happens with this person if I start to make other people respect them? Henry and Mary are the only people outside. I mean, not just outside. They're the only people who seem to like and respect her 
everyone in her family is mean to her. Except and for nobody Edmund. values her. Except for Edmund. And yeah. even Edmund is like not good at seeing her. He yeah. just sees himself in her. And Mary and Henry kind of value her because they're like, oh, what an interesting person that I can't figure out. I'm going to try and figure her out. Yeah, you really get the sense with Mary that she's like, this girl's such a little weirdo. I love her. (laughs) I don't get her at all. I think when Edmund says, so Henry's proposed to Fanny, her and Edmund are out for a walk. And Edmund, Edmund kind of wants her to marry Henry because he knows that that means that Mary will be around more, which will give him, right, more opportunity to, like, be in her company. But at one point, Edmund says to Fanny, he will make you happy, but you will make him everything. And that is a modern note that we would find deeply romantic. But Fanny is like, I don't want to make the man anything. I want him to already be that good man. Because again, this whole book is an exploration of, do you do good things because society acknowledges them as good things? Or do you do good things because you have this unflappable, unshakable moral center that requires that you do these good things? So she has no desire to be that that woman that a man changes for. She she has no interest in that. She doesn't want to fix him. She doesn't want to fix him. That's how we know it's not modern. Yeah. And if he fixes himself, she's like, great. I remember when you were a hot mess. And I'm not going to forget that, actually. Take your newly changed self, your new unshakable ethic, and go find somebody who doesn't remember that you were a giant cad who led her cousin on. So, like, that's the thing that's interesting is... When Edmund says, he will make you happy, but you could make him everything else, Fanny is essentially like, yeah, I I don't want that. Yeah, and she, this is another case in which she was right all along, and she has proven to be right, even though there's this, like, swirling hurricane of emotions and plays and comings and goings, and she's the only one who saw the bad that was in him at the beginning is the same that is bad in him at the end. The same as Mary. Fanny's the same. She was right all along. Everybody else just couldn't see it. And for me, I'm like, I see the way Henry, Henry pushes Fanny to make herself known. I'm like, I feel like that's good for her. Whereas Edmund is like, I respect the fact that she has no desire to be known. I'm like, I don't like that. (laughs) But that's me as like a 2022 woman reading this. And that's something you and I have talked about too, of how of its time this book is. Yeah. It's just, it's just stuck in 1814 or stuck in the 19th century, I guess. Victorians loved it because they were like, ooh, morality, women getting punished for enjoying sex. Should we talk about our third pillar of, uh, of tragedy? The, the third pillar of tragedy, who is probably yeah. the least tragic figure because everything works out for her. I mean, everything works out for her, but she still makes bad choices. Yeah. Well, she makes bad. We think they're bad. Well, choices. we think we think they're bad, bad choices because we live in 2022. Yep. Okay. So we're going to talk about Fanny Price, but really the most tragic thing about Fanny Price is we're worried that we are Fanny Price. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Which doesn't make Mansfield Park a tragedy, but it is like who it is, is tragic heroine? to realize that you're Fanny yeah. Price. Yeah. Yeah. 
the the like least relatable, most boring Austin heroine. <laughs> the one who just like sits on a bench while the man she loves goes walking around the garden with the woman he loves and they forget all about you. And you're just like, oh, they've been gone so long. They forgot about me. I'll just wait on this bench until the end of time. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think Fanny Price has to be the heroine of this novel? Why can't it be an Elizabeth Bennet in this story? Here's my theory. I think it's because she wanted to explore the sort of the narrative framing of an introspective character. Mm-hmm. That's that's my theory. In Pride and Prejudice, what she does is she sets up this framing where this was like apparently very innovative for the time. And now we do it all the time. Um, But it's not strictly a first person or a third person narrative, but we get a strong narrator, but we can also get the inner thoughts of Elizabeth Bennet, Mm -hmm. but just Elizabeth Bennet and not any of the other characters. In Mansfield Park, she's like, ooh, I wonder if I can take that a little bit. How far can I take that? Mm -hmm. So we we get a very strong narrative voice in which the narrator is almost like a person unto themselves. But almost all that we get of Fanny is introspection. She doesn't speak very much in the novel at all. She's only present inside the mind of the reader and inside her own mind. I think with, with a more, not interesting, but a more like talkative, active character, we don't get that as much. Or maybe we would, and she just, she hasn't figured out how to do it yet. I don't know. And that's why I think in a lot of the film adaptations, they make the character so much more active, because we can't see that inner monologue that she's having. Yeah. The version with Billy Piper as, as Fanny Price, one of the first scenes we see of her is her playing badminton with Edmund, and they're like running up and down outside. She runs probably five or six times in the course of the 90 minute movie, which is not Fanny Price because she, (laughs) Fanny Price in the novel, Fanny Price in the novel walks two miles and gets a migraine. Everyone's like, oh my God, are you okay? (laughs) Who let you walk two miles? So one theory I read is at the time, the pastoral or evangelical novel was a is a kind of it's hot 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 it was like a popular trope at the time right so northanger abbey is a book we talked about kind of the world the meta quality of northanger Mm -hmm. abbey that northanger abbey a book about people who like books yeah and that northanger abbey is really a book that is in conversation with gothic literature it's it's talking about novels and women who read and it's it's in conversation with all of the books that it mentions within the text. Jane Austen, in some letters to her siblings, kind of are, would articulate that she had read, you know, such and such evangelical novel, and that while she really enjoyed it, she didn't like how one-dimensional the characters were. I think your point is well taken, that she kind of wanted to try something with Fanny Price. We think of Jane Austen as the super accomplished author, and she is. But this was her third published novel because Pride and Prejudice was published. And then, and then. No, the first, the first is Sense and Sensibility. Yeah, Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice. And then this book was published, right? And then Emma was published after. 
Northanger Abbey was published posthumously as was Persuasion. But this is like the fourth book she's ever written, right? And so she was still a relatively new author. And I think she was just kind of trying some things. So she kind of tries to write this really introspective heroine. And she kind of tries to write her take on the evangelical novel. But what she wants to do is have an evangelical novel that has this like strong moral center, has this strong conversation about ethics, but has multidimensional characters. Mrs. Norris is an odious woman, but she feels like a person, right? Mary Mm -hmm. Crawford is super complicated, but she feels like a person, Fanny Price is actually the character who feels like more of a fantasy than any other character, but she is able to be that as like the eye of the hurricane, as you have said, while everyone else around her is kind of flailing with all these really complex emotions. Mm -hmm. Consequently, she's a giant pushover who I'm a little afraid that I am also. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a tragedy because I don't like evangelical novels. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't want to be a character in one. And I I think that's maybe why I I have such a hard time understanding it. I've read some of these like moralizing evangelical type books, like when I was in undergrad, and they're all really heavy handed, or all the ones that I read are, Mm -hmm. are super heavy handed. I mean, this is certainly like a gentler take, but even so, I'm like, I guess I'm supposed to be happy that she ends up with Edmund because that's what she wants, right? And I'm supposed to want for my heroine the thing that my heroine wants. But I just think it's such a bummer. I just think she deserves better. And I think I deserve better than Edmund Bertram. Look. <laughs> Yeah, she gets, she was right all along, which is great. she gets everything she wanted. She gets everything she wanted, which is great. She's probably going to have 25,000 kids, which I'm sure she thinks is great. She and and Edmund are going to stay up late reading Four Dice's Sermons. It's going to be super (laughs) fun. All right. So, Hannah, now that we've talked about this novel for over an hour, would you like to, (laughs) would you like to modify your original point of view which is you think it's trash and nobody should read it I don't I think I was very careful about not using the word trash (laughs) I I I uh, don't read it (laughs) (laughs) I think that like there's people out there who would really like this novel I just don't know any of those people I don't think I mean I maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm wrong I will probably buy it because it is the one Jane Austen novel I don't own. I would be really, because you had an annotated version, which Mm -hmm. I didn't know was a thing. But as soon as you said that, I was like, I want all of them annotated. I want to buy all of them annotated and read them all again. And that way I can understand them all better. By the way, I already have two complete sets of Jane Austen, but I want an annotated set. I will recommend that if you were to read Mansfield Park, you should read the annotated version. I got mine from my public library. This is annotated and edited by David M. Shepard. It was excellent. This podcast is not sponsored by Matthew Shepard. What's his name? David M. Shepard. David M. Shepard. Do, 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 uh, do you recommend it to any of your friends or enemies? This book is 450 pages. There are very few books that are 450 pages long that I would recommend anyone read. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wow, what's your t what's your top limit? Well, do you no, think for no, recommendations? Just, just because it's like it's such a long book. Also, I will say this: I don't think Jane Austen's genre is tragedy, right? Oh no, 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 no! I she was trying something. And it succeeded in her time. It succeeded yes. in the 19th century. And it just like, it just, I, it just doesn't age well. I just yeah. think it doesn't age well. And, and I would say that she kind of pulls up at the end of the book. This plane is going down. This plane is going down. We're about <laughs> to crash. And then she at the very last minute is like, I can't do it. I can't make us crash. And, and she kind of shows how everyone is kind of fine, right? Like, there is a fall from grace, but, like, Mary Crawford still has her 20,000 pounds, and she lives with her aunt who loves her. Mariah Bertram is not poor and penniless. Her father's <laughs> still going to provide for her, and she's going to live with her aunt who dotes on her. Fanny Which is gets, its own punishment, they own say, punishment, basically. Right? Fanny gets everything she wants. Edmund gets everything he wants. Henry Crawford is going to be fine. Um, Are you undermining the entire thesis of this podcast episode? No, I'm saying Jane Austen undermines the uh, entire thesis of her book. And so, uh, 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 okay, so that okay. is like, she kind of adds in this epilogue that I'm like, your epilogue is basically like everything's kind of okay. The past 450 pages, you have indicated that if we do not act with moral turpitude, I don't know if I'm using that word correctly, but if you I don't do not, if, <laughs> if you do not act with the strongest moral turpitude, your life is desolate and you are doomed to like ruination. Wait, let me look that up and make sure that we're not using it opposite. I'm going to just keep using it. Did I make up a word? No, no, no. It's definitely a word that is only used in the context of morality. Depravity, depravity or wickedness. So I'm saying the acts of moral turpitude are bad things. I said them, they were like good things. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe so opposite. 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 It's, yeah. It's fine. Yeah, it's, we're my, all learning here. My Henry Crawford is showing. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that she undermines her thesis. Mm, and okay. the book is actually a little weaker for it. Because she doesn't, she doesn't really want to let everyone be spoiled by their actions. And oh, she yeah. even, she's it, it's it it goes against her her sort of I don't know nature I guess to yeah. to not give people a happy ending. And so there's something about that where at the end of it it just feels a little unsatisfying. Well then what was this all for? It's for Fanny to be right all along. Yeah. This book should have been called First Impressions. <laughs> and it's how they're all right. How all of Fanny's first impressions are correct. There's a lot that is fun about it, but it feels like... But not as much as I wanted. But not as much as I wanted. And there's there's large sections that are kind of a slog to get through. But if you are a Jane Austen completist, then I'm sure you will find something in it that is worth your time. And um, speaking of being a Jane Austen completist, if you've if you've done your math and followed followed along, the next one that we're going to read is the last one, and it is called Sense and Sensibility. Unless we also decide to do Lady Susan and the other uh, Juvenalia, which we have not discussed. And now, listeners, we would like to hear from you, particularly if you are the fantasy person who loves unequivocally 
this book. If you are that person, we need to hear from you. You can get involved in the discussion by tweeting at us or commenting on this episode's post on Instagram, both places we are at wellherepod. You can also email us at wellherepod at gmail.com. Maybe tell us how excited you are that we're back again. And don't forget to go to wherever you get your podcasts and click that, oh, sorry, Fanny, I didn't see you there button, which you might know as a follow button. And until next time, I'm Suzanne, and not even Johnny Lee Miller could make Edmund Bertram palatable to me. I'm Hannah, and I don't want to marry a clergyman either. And well, here we are. Evergreen, evergreen. I see a mother there, a lover and a child. I know a war will come and take away their lives. Maybe.